and transition into the Word of the Lord, which is part of the reason we're here this morning, part of the reason we're here. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for um, your, your unfailing love, your unconditional love for us. God, we thank you for being here with us, that you are the only author that whenever we open your book, you are here and your spirit gives us understanding. And so we need understanding, Lord, uh, whatever aspect we need to hear, we want to hear it. You, you said to the churches in, in Revelation, he who, he who has an ear, let him hear uh, uh, what the spirit says to the churches. And so, Lord, we want to hear it. We want to hear it. Uh, our ears and our eyes are open to what you have for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. give someone a high five and have a seat if you would. Open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Everybody wave bye-bye, London. Wave bye-bye. There she goes. Big brother, big brother, he's got her. <laughs> oh, Revelation chapter 3. The message this morning is entitled, Hot, Cold, But Not Lukewarm. Uh, the story is told of the lion in the jungle, and the lion was pretty prideful, and a lion took on that moniker of king of the jungle. And so he goes up to a hyena and kicks him in the backside and says, Hey, Mr. Hyena, who's the king of the jungle? And the hyena turns around shaking and says, well, of course, Mr. Lion, everybody knows that you are. Uh, he says, that's right. Don't forget it. And then he walks up on a zebra real stealthily, roars as loud as he can. Of course, the uh, uh, zebra loses his stripes, you know, turns all kind of different colors. And he says, hey, Mr. Zebra, don't worry, I'm not going to eat you today. But I have a question for you. Who's the king of the jungle? And the zebra turns and says, is shaking and stuttering. Well, Mr. Lion, everybody knows that you are the king of the jungle. And the lion says, that's right. And don't you forget it. Let's out a big roar again. And he goes up to an elephant, kicks him in the rear, in the rear and says, hey, Mr. Elephant, who's the king of the jungle? And the elephant, you know, is busy chewing on some grass or a tree and turns around, looks at him, turns around, wraps his trunk around his neck, picks him up, slams him against the ground, bangs him three times against a tree, and tosses him in a muddy marsh. And then he just looks at him. And the lion kind of gathers his senses. He's pretty dizzy, and he kind of stumbles and stands up and says, Hey, Mr. Lion, if you don't know the answer, you don't have to get, you don't have to get mad. Mr. Elephant, if you don't know the answer, you don't have to get mad. I know, I kind of dropped out there. Mr. Mr. Elephant... If you don't know the answer, you don't have to get mad, is, is the punchline. Uh, don't we typically grade ourselves pretty high? Don't we typically think we're a little bit better than we really are in things? And I find that when it comes to salvation and when it comes to entrance into heaven, most people feel they're pretty good. Most people feel like, you know what, if there is a God in heaven then I'm probably going to go because I'm a good person. And I'm not all that bad. I mean, it's not like I'm bad like some people. And you can get a list of names of people, you know, Stalin, Hitler. Uh, you know, I'm not like those guys. And so I feel like I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I don't like, you know, I don't really, tr I try to treat, I try to live by the golden rule as if living by the golden rule will get you into heaven is what most people think. And so therefore, I'm a pretty good person. 
I'm a pretty religious person, and I believe that if there is a God and there is a heaven, that should be good enough to get there. And then the question you ask is, well, just exactly how good do you have to be? Do you have to be Billy Graham good or Mother Teresa good or just good in general or good compared to your uh, Uncle Ray Ray who's really bad? I mean, you know, depends on how we how we and and, and you know, sometimes you just have to realize, you know, the reality of where you are. And, and I, I can tell you that in my own personal life, that the reality of where I stood before Christ is what brought me to him. It was a part of the understanding that I'm not all that good. And though I might not be consider myself a bad person, but in the eyes of God, unless I have the righteousness of Christ and I have all that Christ did, a part of my life, then I'm not good enough to get to heaven. Okay, It's a good thing to do a little self-diagnosis every once in a while, isn't it? It's a good thing to look in the mirror and answer some tough questions honestly. Sometimes it's hard for us to be honest with ourselves. We can be we can we can tell other people things or not tell other thing, people certain things about us, but but sometimes we can even fool ourselves or just refuse to acknowledge things that we know are issues or struggles in our life, right? And until you diagnose that and recognize, buddy, you have a problem with this. I mean, you really can't move ahead. Is that right? Maybe. Okay, I'll convince you later. Weeks ago, we discussed the church at Philadelphia. And the Lord made a couple of promises to them. And one of the promises that He made to them is that He would honor them. And remember that this was a city that had suffered a massive earthquake in A.D. 17. And so much so that many of people lived outside of the city for years. And whenever the rumblings would begin, the people would have to rush out of the city and they would trickle their way back after the tremors and everything was done in this massively... Uh, 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 this massive earthquake area. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 12 of Revelation, the Lord said to them, I will make him, speaking of the church in Philadelphia and the faithful one, a pillar in the temple of your God, and never again will he leave it. And remember, we talked about how comforting that must have been for the church at Philadelphia to say, you know what? Boy, just think about it. I mean, we kind of live our lives in transition, but he's going to make us pillars in his temple. This is a, this is a, a stable place and a stable relationship. And boy, uh, how, 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 how good that must have been for them to hear that. And the Lord would do that in His letters to these churches. Well, today, we come to the end of this ark that we've been traveling on, and we end at a city called Laodicea in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. It was an important city. It was a wealthy city. Everybody say, wealthy city. Okay, you have to get this. This city was a major financial market. I mean, think London, New York, uh, uh, Hong Kong, Be- uh, uh, Beijing. This was a major financial capital. And of all the seven cities that we've looked at, this was the wealthiest of all of the cities. Okay, They were a center for Caesar worship, as all of these other cities were. And they were one of the leading places for the worship of um, As. Asclepios, which was the god of medicine, the god of healing more in particular. Uh, There was a famous temple there, and there was also a famous medical school that was connected to the temple where they produced this eye balm or this eye salve that they believed would cure almost any kind of eye disease that you might have. All of that is important, okay? Now, 
After an earthquake devastated this region in 60 AD, Laodicea refused help from Rome in rebuilding the city. And they successfully rebuilt the city by relying on their own resources. It's important to know that. They didn't want, according to Barclay, they didn't need outside help. They didn't ask for it. They didn't want it. Laodicea was too rich to accept help from anyone. Remember that. Tacticus, the historian, Tacitus, the historian said, uh, Laodicea arose from the ruins by the strength of her own resources and with no help from us. Hey, all right. Big time commercial center. Some of the goods that they manufactured were, were, were distributed all over the world. It was right on one of the great Asian trade routes, which guaranteed uh, success in their industry. A very proud city. Uh, it's been stated that Laodicea sort of banked themselves or prodded themselves on three things. Financial wealth, a large textile industry, which included rich, expensive clothing, in particular of black, glossy wool. So you could be like, you know, rolling down the street in Rome and you could have one of those Laodicean outfit sweaters on and someone could say, that's Laodicean wool right there. Ooh, that person got bank because that's expensive. Okay? And they were known for the eye salve, which, was export, which is exported all over the world. And they were uh, also uh, well known uh, uh, for some hot springs, though not in Laodicea, but about six miles away in Heriopolis. There was this freshing, a refreshing supply of water in the city of Colossae. Six miles away, uh, there were some hot springs in Heriopolis. And so in Laodicea, their main water supply came from this six-mile aqueduct from the hot springs of Heriopolis. And so they had this long aqueduct that would bring them water. Um, now there, in Heriopolis, the water could be drunk, but it had to be drunk when it was really hot because of all the minerals and all of the stuff in it. So by the time the water got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm and pretty much disgusting and nauseating. Uh, and so that comes into play here a little bit later on. So keep that in mind that they had a, with all of their wealth and all of their riches, their water supply was pretty yucky. And in these days, water supply is everything. Okay, so... Keep that in mind. Kind of uh, from the very beginning, we get the sense that this city or the church in this city was in trouble. We get this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 says this. Paul the Apostle speaking to the church in Colossae, which was nearby, and he says, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who uh, have never met me personally. And then he says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, he says this. This is, again, to the letter of Colossae. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter that I wrote to them. That's interesting. Paul the Apostle says, I wrote a letter to the church at Laodicea. Not this. This is an entire letter to all the churches. So he wrote a letter to Laodicea and says to the Colossians, you know what, you need to read that letter too. Pass it on. Hmm. Most likely, that letter has been lost. 
There is an apocryphal book that we have, but it doesn't seem to be written by Paul. It just seems to be kind of copied by someone else, and it's probably not authentic, which is why it isn't in our book. For sure, the Lord chose not to preserve Paul's letter to the Laodiceans. For sure. I mean, whatever we know about that letter, we know that God, uh, who is sovereign, uh, has decided that we don't need to know that information. Who knows? Maybe it'll show up later. Maybe not. Who cares? Because we have this. Right? Don't start thinking there's lost books of the Bible. God is sovereign. If He wants something, if He wants us to know something about something, He will make sure we get to know it. I mean, this is solid. You can bank on this. It's not like there's gaps or pieces missing. It's all here. The Bible says the secret things belong to the Lord. Everything else, He's revealed to our sons and our daughters. Amen? Okay. All right. Um, oh, so the introduction. The introduction. Why don't we just read through the entire text and then we'll break it up. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church and laid to see you right, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may become rich, and white garments that you may clothe yourselves, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to, uh, uh, to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The introduction in each of these letters to these specific uh, places, uh, Jesus reveals himself in a particular way. So here's the introduction to this church, the amen. Jesus is the amen. Did you know that amen is a noun? Not just a word of, not just a kind of a, a descriptor word. Uh, I guess that'd be an adjective. I don't know. Amen, he says. Uh, the amen. And that, may, that word means so be it. Um, maybe, you know, You've been to a church where there's a whole lot of amens. You know, someone will say something, everybody goes, amen. And they'll say something else, and they go, amen. But you know that when Jesus used that terminology, he always said amen at the beginning of his sentences, not at the end. Maybe you've heard it this way, verily, verily, I say to you, or truly, truly, or I tell you the truth. What he's literally saying is, so be it. Amen. In the original language, it's amen, amen, I declare to you. Jesus speaks the truth. Isaiah 65, God is called the God of the amen. The God of all truth. Um, we don't think of amen as a proper name, but here it's used that way. Jesus says, I am the amen. We think again of amen as something you say at the end of a sentence, but Jesus always started with it. He speaks the truth. Because he is the truth. And not only that, he is the faithful 
and the true witness. He tells them the truth. It's the amen. He is a faithful and true witness. <clears throat> and he's about to tell this church a little bit about their condition. There was a comic strip, a comic strip called Mama by Mel Lazarus, in which Mama, who is Mrs. Hobbs, is talking to a rather persistent man. Uh, Mr. K. Frankly is his name. Uh, not much of a catch, but he's persistent and he always seems to be chasing her. And in the first frame of this cartoon, it shows them sitting on the couch and Mr. K. Frankly says, Mrs. Hobbs, I am at a low ebb psychologically. My ego is flattened. Mrs. Hobbs responds in the next frame and says, Oh, Mr. K., let me hasten to state that you're a fine, interesting, and attractive man. Uh, the next frame shows Mr. K., frankly, perk up, and he says, Oh, Mrs. Hobbs, is that the truth? And in the final frame, she says, No, but there'll be plenty of time for the truth when you're emotionally stronger. <laughs> I know. Jesus doesn't do that. He tells you the truth. How many would agree it's a good thing to be around? Let it sink. It kind of has to sink in. It's a good thing to be around someone who would tell you the truth. You don't always want to hear that. And sometimes when that person comes around, you'd be like, oh, here they come. Hey, what you doing? Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm doing okay, and they just kind of look at you, and they go, no, you're not. What's up? You go, why are you always looking at me like that? You think there always has to be something up. And you're like, no, because there is. You go, I know. Okay. <sighs> the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. What does that mean? The beginning of creation? Uh the origin, the Amplified Bible says, the origin and beginning and author of God's creation. The idea behind the word beginning, and the Greek word is arche or arche, is that of ruler, source, or origin, not first in the sequential order. It's important to note that Jesus is not saying that he's the first created being of God, but he's the ruler, the source, and the origin of all creation. Uh, it's the idea of first in prominence, not first in sequence. Colossians 3 says he's the firstborn over all creation. It doesn't mean that he was born. There are various religious groups that say that Jesus actually was created by God. That Jesus actually is Michael the archangel. That he's the firstborn of all creation. Okay, you got it all wrong. Jesus has no beginning uh, he always was, always is, and always will be. That's an attribute of God. Angels are created beings. We are created beings, not Jesus. He is the preeminent one. He is the one who in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Okay, now, how about the commendation? Is there like a attaboy, good job, way to go uh, for this church? Well, he says this, I know your deeds. Okay, that's the same as all the other churches. So if you're sitting there in, in Laodicea and, and you know, you're, you're all that in a bag of chips, right? And you know he's got something good to say about you because after all, look at us. 
And, and so you're waiting for the comment. You've heard the commendation of the other churches because remember, they didn't just get this part. They got the whole letter. And so they've heard about, they've heard about uh, Sardis and they've heard about Ephesus. And like, yeah, those Ephesians, man, they really have lost their first love. And, and now here's our part. Maybe he's going to say something good about us. And he says, you know what? I know your deeds. Okay. Ready for a positive word? Uh, uh, ready to hear something? Uh, nothing. And here's the counsel and the warning. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. What? Wait a minute. This is not from the Lord Jesus Christ concerning us. He wouldn't even say that to us. Yes, he would. Because he tells the truth. The counsel of the warning. You're neither hot nor cold. This would resonate with them immediately, wouldn't it? Why? Because they drank lukewarm water every day and it was nasty. But it's all they had. And all of their wealth and all that they had, they could not get fresh water in their city. Interesting how the Lord uses that analogy. And they immediately go, he's saying we're like the water we drink. And that stuff is, the only reason we drink it is we have to drink it. Well, he got their attention right away. And then the Lord says, I wish, I wish you were one or the other. It turns out there's three spiritual conditions according to Jesus. You're cold or you're hot, or you're lukewarm. How do you like your coffee? Hot. This is really cool right here. I'm not a coffee drinker, but if I were, I'll tell you what, on a, on a cold winter morning in Vegas, there's nothing like a hot cup of coffee, I would imagine. But in the summertime, I don't want anything hot. <laughs> I am not going to drink something that's at least as hot as the temperature it is outside. Like 112. No, I want something cold. I don't know about you. That's just me. The lukewarm person is one who straddles the fence. They may have belief, but they don't have conviction. See, their belief hasn't translated into the way that they live their life. So therefore, there's no evidence. People will say, oh yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. And then you look at their life, not judging, and not trying to say whether they are or aren't, but you have to think either they're having a bad day, or they always talk like that, or that part of their life hasn't been born again yet, or they don't know the truth about what it means to live a holy life, or maybe they don't know Jesus. Maybe they don't. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, it just depends on the day. Oh, there'll be a church on Sunday sometimes. And if you ask them, <coughs> people say to me, oh, I go to, yeah, I go to church. I go, where do you go to church? They go, uh, you know, it's uh, kind of on the south end of town. Okay, cool. Do you know the pastor's name or what's the name? Of it? And I'm not trying to like prove a point. I'm just saying, well, you know, good. I might know the pastor. Where do you go to church? Well, it's over there. You know, it's a uh, living water uh, holy, um, it's over there on behind the Sinclair station. That's where I go to church. Man, you don't even know the name of your church, man. 
I'm not judging. I'm just saying, you know, okay, maybe. Maybe you're new to the church. I don't, I don't know. One foot in the world, one foot in Christ. Too much of the world to enjoy the Lord and too much of the Lord to enjoy the world. A lukewarm person doesn't take Jesus seriously. A lukewarm person doesn't study the Bible seriously. They don't take sin seriously, but they minimize its effects. A lukewarm person doesn't take lost people around them seriously. They really don't even care. It's not a priority. Their fellowship is sporadic at best. Their giving is sporadic at best. Their service in the church is sporadic if it's even there. I mean, they believe that sometimes showing up when you're checking in with God once a month or once every other week is, is all that they need to do. And, 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 and the Bible doesn't guide their life. Oh, they have a Bible. And they might even be able to quote some scriptures, but it doesn't determine how they live their life. That's a little too fanatical. It's just something that is a part of what they do. They open it every once in a while, but they don't take it seriously. A lukewarm person is one whose witness is non-existent. And when people ask them about their faith, they really don't have a whole lot to say. Well, I mean, I go to church, but you know, that's, I'm not like, like crazy or, you know, I'm not overboard. I mean, I still like to have fun and party. I mean, I'm not like, you know, like that. I mean, not fanatical. I mean, no. You know what Jesus says? He says, I wish you were hot or cold. But you're stuck in the middle. Why? Well, if hot is the best, and that word is zestos. I like that. You're zesty, he says. I wish you were zesty. Right? You're passionate for God. That's what's best. But he says, cold is dead. Insensitive in mind. One destitute of warm Christian faith and the desires for His holiness. Wouldn't it seem like okay or better if someone was at least lukewarm? I mean, because that's not completely cold, right? Okay, I may not be hot, but at least I'm, you know, not freezing. I got a little bit of spiritual life there. And Jesus says, I wish you were cold instead of lukewarm. Why? Because people who are cold know it. Excuse me. People who are cold at least have the opportunity to warm up. Because they recognize their condition. They know they're cold. Hey, when you go outside, and sometimes like we'll have conversations outside in the wintertime... You know, and you're out there talking, and maybe you forgot your jacket, and it's cold out there. And you're just trying to talk, and you get all involved. And the person, I'm like, wait a minute, can we go inside? Because it's cold out here. At least when you're cold, you know you can change your, your position. You know you can change your situation, and you know that if you just step inside, you'll warm up. Something you can do about it. G. Campbell Morgan wrote, There's more hope for the man outside the church in all his coldness than for the man within the church who is near enough its warmth to appreciate it and yet far from its burning heat to be useless to God and man. And then he says, Lukewarmness is the worst of all forms of blasphemy. 
Spurgeon said this, we might even say that lukewarmness is the natural tendency of our fallen natures. I agree with that. I do. Alas, this state of lukewarmness is so congenial with human nature that it's hard to fetch men from it. Cold makes us shiver and great heat causes us pain, but a tempid hath its comfort itself. Such a temperature suits human nature. The world is always at peace with a lukewarm church and such a church is always pleased with itself. And then Jesus says this. Are you glad you came this morning? Just wave at me if you're glad you came. Just checking. Okay, some of you aren't so glad yet. Stay to the end. Bernadette, don't let them leave. Give them the restroom pass and get it back when they come back. <clears throat> now, Jesus says this. Because you're lukewarm, he says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So you're in the city in the church in Laodicea and you're like, <laughs> ah, wait a minute. This is not John speaking to us. This is Jesus. Because John wouldn't say that. This is Jesus saying, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. And here's why. Verse 17. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. That's what we say about ourselves. But Jesus says, you don't know this, but you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. What? (laughs) This is getting, you know, we didn't come to church to hear this today. We want to hear a positive, feel-good message. We want to hear about our eternal security and the riches we have. We don't want to hear all this. I know, it's tough, huh? I don't want to hear it either. Contrast with the church at Smyrna. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, but you are rich. Maybe this church at, at, at Laodicea started to believe their own press clippings. Uh, maybe they believed they were all that. After all, they were rich. <laughs> you can't argue that. Uh, they acquired wealth and they needed nothing. Maybe we get a glimpse of how they got to where they were. They put their trust in their prosperity. Maybe they were like those who say, hey, we must be blessed of God. Look how rich we are. And the Lord says, you're not. You're poor. You're wretched. You're miserable. You're blind. And you're naked. <gasps> Jesus said in Matthew six twenty one, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The city of Laodicea, according to David Guzik, says this. The city of Laodicea was famous for its wealth, but the Christians of the city were spiritually wretched, miserable, and poor. It was famous for its healing eye salve, but the Christians of the city were spiritually blind. It was famous for its fine clothing, but the Christians of the city were what? Spiritually naked. The modern humanist would say this present reality is all there is. There's nothing beyond The ancient church in Laodicea would say this present reality is all that matters. And so here's the counsel. Maybe it'll get better. Verse 18. Here's the advice from the Lord. I advise you to buy for me gold refined by fire that you may become rich and white garments that you may clothe yourselves and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Ah, 
here's the counsel, you need to buy something from me. But you can't earn it. No amount of religiosity will be good enough to get you what you need from me. And, Laodiceans, you cannot buy it. Because that's what you like to do. You like to just pay your way in. You can't do it that way. Buy for me gold refined in the fire. The Lord says this, if you're taking notes, change your values. Change your values. Wealthy city, financial capital. Perhaps this crept into the church. And it also might suggest that persecution was on the way. Maybe they had gotten too comfortable and the Lord says, buy for me gold refined in the fire. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 8 through 8 says this, is this, uh, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> whom, have, whom having not seen, you love. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 8. He says, change your values. And then he mentions white clothes. Cover your shame. Cover your shame. The lay of the sins to go to the market and buy the finest of garments. Yeah, how much is that Armani suit right there? Where is it from? Ha ha. Born and made here in Laodicea. I'll buy that. But they could not buy on earth what they really needed. Nakedness for sure in the Bible symbolizes defeat and humiliation. They needed garments of righteousness to cover their shame. Revelation 19.8 speaks of these garments as fine linen, clean and white. See, if you're going to get into heaven, you have to have the right clothes on. And the right clothes are the righteousness of Christ that comes by belief and faith and trust in Him and Him alone. And then He says, put some salve on your eyes so you can see. There's nothing wrong with their sight. Physically, it's spiritual. Interesting how the Lord uses that that, that word picture that they totally understand. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the, sh- of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, and the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. See, they needed their eyes enlightened. Change your values, cover your shame, and open your spiritual eyes. <clears throat> Now, if you're a Laodiceans, how do you feel? You just feel like you just went out to the woodshed, huh? <laughs> yeah, this is not easy. These are hard words. The Lord's not done with His church yet. He's not done with His church. These are not people outside the church. These are people in the church. You got that, right? The letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea, not to the lost, to the church in Laodicea. Verse 19, those whom I love, that proves it's the church. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, be zealous therefore and repent. Don't, don't miss that, don't miss that. Those whom I love. And if you're in Laodicea and you're going, ah, oh, ah, oh. Those whom I love. He still loved them even though they were lukewarm towards him. Spurgeon says the word used here used for love is a very choice one. It's one which signifies an intense personal affection. Phileo. 
those whom I phileo. Intimacy of, of, of brotherly love. No, no. Laodicea, I love you. Those whom I love. Hebrews 12.5 says this, And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chasing of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. That tells us maybe persecution might be coming. We don't know. And then He says this, Be zealous and repent. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. It's decision time, Laodicea. You have a choice to make. You're loved by God. You cannot continue on the way that you're going. He's not going to allow it. Tough times are ahead. You have a call. Be zealous and repent. Turn. Now let's look at the invitation. Verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and will dine with him and he with me. You know, we don't get meals in our culture. We don't. We don't get, we don't get the context. In an Eastern context, meals together is intense fellowship. Jesus, now you have to understand, these people understood what it meant to have somebody over for dinner. This is not a light thing. And, and he's saying, I, I, will, I, will, I will dine with you. And they were like, well, what king would dine with his subjects? None of the Roman gods would do that. None of the Greek gods would do that. But, but, but this God will come and sup with you and dine with you and have fellowship with you. And the Laodiceans went, whoa! Jesus will, will, will come to me and, and we'll fellowship and have intimacy together. That's the whole goal. Is the invitation into oneness and intimacy. That's all of this was said for that. So that they would turn and have a unity and a oneness. And, and, it, and this illustrates the insane love that God has for His people, even when they're lukewarm towards Him. It's amazing. And He says, I stand at the door. I'm knocking. I'm waiting on you, Laodicea. I'm patient. And I'm waiting. And I'm knocking. And I'm knocking. And it says here, Jesus takes his stand. And that's the verb. He, he's not going anywhere. He's going to keep on knocking. I'm, I'm, I'm right at the door. And I'm knocking. And I will continue. He is patient. He knocks through circumstances. He knocks through his word. He knocks through persecution. He knocks through difficulty. He knocks through others who speak to you. And the Lord is knocking at the door of your heart. These are not people who don't know Jesus. These are people who know Jesus, who are not in fellowship with him. This church was independent. Uh, it was an independent bunch. They didn't need anything. And yet Jesus wanted them to desire him. So he knocks. Holman Hunt has a famous picture. Christ, the light of the world. And it illustrates Jesus wearing a crown of thorns with a, with a lamp in his hand, standing outside a door which represents the human heart. And he's, 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 he's knocking in, 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 the, in the portrait. 
he's knocking, right? Um, <clears throat> J.B. Phillips said this about that painting. When it was first displayed, critics came to comment on the work. One of them turned to the painter and said, uh, Mr. Hunt, you've painted a masterpiece, but you've made a very serious mistake. Uh, you've painted a door without a handle. To which the artist replied, that's not a mistake. The handle's on the inside. <clears throat> that's true for you and me as well. Intimacy with the Lord comes from a desire on the inside and help on the outside. Intimacy with the Lord starts with me. Oh, he desires it, but I've got to meet him there. The old song, song says, I've come to meet with you. Come and meet with me. Well, here's the challenge of verse 21. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Did you get that? Did you get that? I mean, you may have read it for the first time here today. Maybe you've read it a hundred times before. Let's read it again. Okay, verse 21. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. So you're related to seeing, you're going, what? Wait a minute. Did you get that? That's an exalted high position. Ahem. <clears throat> As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Each of these letters ends with a promise for the ones who overcomes. It's not an elite group. These are believers who are just normal people who've trusted in Christ. And so this tells us that no matter how unspiritual, unscriptural, unscrupulous, no matter uh, uh, where life finds you, no matter how bad things are, Jesus will always honor those who turn to him in repentance. Always. There is always that promise. No matter how deep, no matter how far away you are, like the prodigal son who was as far as you could possibly get from his own father. He knew better than being where he was and he was about to eat food that was reserved for the pigs and it was starting to look good to him. And then he woke up out of his slumber and said, you know what, this is crazy. I'm going home to my father. I can be a slave in my daddy's house. It would be better than this. And he came to his senses and he took the most important step, and that was one step towards home. Interesting, he didn't forget how to get home. And the moment he took that step, he was already restored. It was just a matter of distance. Look at the reward. Those who overcome lukewarmness will be rewarded with a place next to Jesus. Clark says this, Jesus has conquered and is set down with the Father on the Father's throne. He who conquers through Christ sits down with Christ upon his throne. But Christ's throne and the throne of the Father is the same. And it is on this same throne that those who are faithful unto death are finally to sit. How astonishing is this state of exaltation, the dignity and grandeur of it. Who can conceive? got to overcome through Christ. The believers in Laodicea didn't take a stand for anything in Christ. 
Oh, do you get that? They were lukewarm. They, you know what? Well, you're a Christian. What do you think? Oh, listen, man, I don't want to get drawn into this conference. I don't, I don't even think the Bible addresses that. Uh, and that kind of morality isn't in the Bible. I don't even know. Hey, you know what? I'll leave that to the, to, you know, preachers and people. Uh, I, uh, nah, uh, take a stand. Laodicea is what the Lord, you know, take a stand. You know, if you're going to walk for Jesus Christ, at some point you are going to offend somebody. And not be obnoxious. I'm just saying, you share the truth in love, it's going to be offensive. We live in a culture where you do not have freedom of speech. You can't say what you want to say without being censored, depending on what you say. You say the wrong thing about the wrong people group, and man, you'll be crucified for it. But we still have to take a stand. We have to take a stand and say, wait a second, that's not right. That is not right. And it's not just something within me that burns and says, well, we really shouldn't do that. That's what God's word says. And if we continue as a nation on the course that we're, we're, we're going, where are we going to be? In th- what other liberties are we going to lose? What other freedoms will we not have? How much will we be censored where all of a sudden you can't preach on certain topics because they might be people outside closing down your church building? Oh, that'll never happen in America. It's headed that way. Opposing worldviews first want to be heard. Then they want an equal footing. Then they want exclusivity. Go ahead. Say something's wrong in the workplace because the Bible says so. What are you going to get? You're going to get sent to the, to the office to discuss. Tolerant. Yeah, you're going to get sent to the tolerant office. Go ahead. Play professional sports and say a lifestyle's wrong. Go ahead. Have a TV show and let people find out you give to a certain church. Or certain work of the Lord. You might lose your TV show. Whatever. We got to stand up, church. The church in Laodicea didn't take a stand. And Jesus said, It's the worst possible witness you can be. It's to claim the name of Jesus and not take a stand. <clears throat> it would take something from without to change that which was within. And it would take their desire to agree with that. These people believed that their material blessings and possessions were a sign of God's blessings. They were not. <clears throat> Even the blessings of God have to be in proper balance. That's it, folks. Have a nice day. <laughs> Woo! Read it throughout the week. Let it permeate and meditate. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. We don't want to live in Laodicea. We don't want to live there, folks. We all struggle with that. There might be times where we might end up there, but don't stay there. Don't stay there. Don't stay there. Well, I want to... If our ushers would come forward, take our missions offering today. And um, um, your offering goes to support those in the mission field. Um, those who are serving locally and abroad. YWAM Las Vegas. Gospel for Asia. 
Clara. I have a little video clip I'm going to show in just a second that um, uh, explains kind of what she's all about. She'll be here Wednesday night. We're excited to hear what God's doing uh, in uh, the 1040 window, uh, the, that, that latitude, longitude where, the, where the, the most unreached people live. And so um, uh, before we do that, I want to pray for the offering, uh, give as the Lord leads. And I want to, to let you know that when the video clip is over, we'll have a time of prayer for whoever needs it. Uh, you might find yourself smack dab in the middle of Laodicea. And uh, hopefully God's word will accomplish its purpose this morning. And you will uh, move out, move out, repent and turn and come to him. Um, and if you've never embraced Jesus, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, uh, to repent means, means to turn. Means to turn. And one of the evidences, not the only one, because a lot of people turn from their ways to something else that's not truth. I mean, the jihadists have turned, but they haven't turned to truth. So it's important that we turn, but that we turn to truth, that we turn to the amen. And that's Jesus. Uh, don't make the mistake to think just, just because someone's life has changed that what they've turned to is good. It may not be. Hey, that's a good thing if your life has changed. Maybe you no longer do drugs. Maybe you no longer sleep around. Maybe you no longer thieve and rob and steal. Or maybe you're no longer uh, a prideful person. That's good. But if you haven't turned to Jesus, the end is the same. Turn to Jesus. The, 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 the true and faithful witness, the amen. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this offering today. And we ask that you would bless it and multiply it for the furtherance of your kingdom. Lord, we pray for anybody in this place that does not have a personal relationship with you. Lord, you say you stand at the door and you knock. But we must open it. That's our responsibility. Lord, if anybody here needs to open the door to you today, that they would repent and turn and agree with you. God, we thank you for that. God, that you would open hearts and minds. And before we take our offering, I just want to ask if there's anyone who would say, you know what, I need that. I need, to, I need that. This, this message, uh, God's been knocking on the door of my heart for years. And I've just kept it shut. I've turned the music up, turned the TV up. I, I, I've put headphones on and I've pretended that I haven't been hearing it when I know that I have. And if that's you would, you, would you acknowledge Jesus this morning? Maybe for the first time you say, yes, Jesus, that's what I need. Anyone at all? I just want to give you that opportunity. Anyone else say, yeah, that's what I need. I need Jesus in my heart. No joke. No joke. That's what I need. Anybody at all? Anyone? Bless you, brother. Yes, yes, yes. I see you back there, man. Right on. Yes, amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Father, thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, you begin good things and you're faithful to complete them. Give these brothers a sense of your peace and your presence. They have opened their hearts to you, Lord. Speak by your spirit to them in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and pass the bags, guys, and let's roll this video clip, please. Hello, Living Grace family. I just want to take a few minutes to just thank you for your faithful prayers and support. Um, and before I do that, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Clara Serrano with Gospel for Asia. I'm a home staff missionary. And Gospel for Asia is a mission organization working to reach the most unreached people groups in Southeast Asia with the love of Christ. And it's done through evangelism and the of Christ. 
you know, one thing that has really been on my heart lately is the fact that God is so mindful of us. In Psalms 8, 4a, the Word of God states that, you know, who is man that God is mindful of him? God has been mindful of us since the foundation of this, of this earth. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, you know, it says that God said, Let us, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, make man in our image and our likeness. You know, God could have selected anybody, but he selected people like you and me to bear his image. Why? Because he wants to have fellowship with us, communion with us, and two, to reflect his image. Just think of it. The God of the universe is calling us to be bear in our image bearers of him. That is amazing. Um, Adam and Eve was the first creation that was created to have fellowship with God. And then the, the fall happened in Genesis chapter 3. And so that was broken. But since then, God's heart has been fervently trying to redeem man back to him. Um, so much so that we see this in um, Romans chapter 8. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. You know, God sent his only begotten son so that we may have life. He died on the cross so that we may have life, that we may have fellowship with him, and that we may glorify his name so that the nations could be glad. Um, you know, so that Asia can be glad. Now is harvest time like it's never been harvest time before. And... Um, I want to just share some stories from the field, and I'll be doing this Wednesday evening. So I want to invite you to please join me and, you know, just hear about what the Lord is doing. Amazing, amazing things on, on the field. And so, God bless. Amen. All right. Cool. <clears throat> we'll see you on Wednesday night. Um, have, a, have a great week in Jesus. And uh, we had said two weeks ago that uh, uh, we had to be out of our offices by June 1st. For those of you who planned on it and were, help, were going to help us move, uh, we've kind of have a flexible date now, which is always good. So we do not need to be out of here by June 1st. We're going to move ourselves out slowly. And so uh, we appreciate that. And um, uh, continue to pray uh, for the building program. Uh, we, we have some things that we're looking at. We don't have... Uh, uh, anything set just yet, but we're going to be here in the short run until the Lord would have us to move. And so offices are later this month and um, uh, keep giving to our building fund as the Lord leads so we can uh, have our own place. That's our heart's desire. So I wanted to share that with you. Have a great week, uh, a week in Jesus, and we'll see you um, Wednesday night. If you need prayer, come on up. Prayer team, if you'd make your way up, please. Trust in the Lord All the strong mountain And they will not know 
trust in the Lord. All the strong mountains, they will not long, not be moved. Who trust in the Lord, yeah, yeah. Lord is Mount Zion, and they will not know, oh no, not be moved. Those who trust in the Lord, yeah, yeah. Lord is Mount Zion, and they will not know. Be moved.